so I want to turn your attention to this subject, loving your enemies. It's so basic to me because it is a part of my basic philosophical and theological orientation, the whole idea of love, the whole philosophy of love. We read these very arresting words flowing from the lips of our Lord and Master. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. The Greek language comes out with another word for love. It is the word agape. Agape is more than eros. Agape is more than philia. Agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him. And he might be the worst person you've ever seen. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus said, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. Uh, everybody knows who the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is. Um, what you might not know is he was a pastor. And the thing that fueled his mission and that fueled the movement that he led was his faith in Christ. And the reason why he was able to stand in front of his enemies is because he found it somehow possible in his heart to love his enemies. Because God loved his enemies. I don't love him because I like him. I, I love him because God loves him as he so eloquently said. Uh, my name is Danny Householder. I'm the pastor at Lutheran Church of Hope in Ames. I also get to be a part of Kairos. I'm just so glad to be with you all here tonight. Um, usually I ask you to bring out your phones and shine your lights, but you guys got glow sticks tonight, and which is just awesome. You just wave those glow sticks in the air like you just don't care. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, hey, shout out to our volunteers who got those glow sticks out tonight. Can we give them a praise or give God a praise for them, you know? Um, I also want to give a shout out to the guys who were welcoming people uh, in the parking lot earlier. I mean, like, I just got wooed the entire way in. I felt good. Let's praise God for them. How about it for our welcome table in the back? Come on, let's give God praise for them. 
our announcers, our musicians, holding you in the uh, the sound booth, and uh, and and just so many different people. Also, we want to give God praise for our friends in Iowa City. On the count of three, say what's up, Iowa City. One, two, three. If this is your first time you're here and you're like, do we just talk to the sky? What, what do we do? Uh, Iowa City, uh, there's a group in Iowa City called Kairos as well. And they meet with us uh, just through this little stream and iPad. So we're so glad that we can be together in Iowa City. We love you so much. Um, like I said, my name is Danny. I'm just really, really happy to be here. And I want to start where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. left off. Loving people because God loves them. That's a hard thing for us to do. How do we love people when we really don't like them? How do we love people when we start to use the word on them that is enemy? What do we do when God loves our enemy? You know, a lot of us were so easy to say, God loves me and God loves you and God loves everybody in the world. And then all of a sudden when we have to talk about the people that we really don't like or the people that really don't like us. We just kind of like to put that part in the corner and, but God loves everybody else, you know? But no, God loves them. And Jesus has this radical teaching in scripture that was unheard of at that time, where he says, you've heard love your neighbor as yourself and then hate your enemy, which was a misinterpretation of the law that they had back then. But Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemy. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. later on would say, darkness can't drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hatred can't drive out hatred, only love can do that. It's a continuation of what Christ said. President Abraham Lincoln said, the most fundamental way to change your enemy is to befriend them. It's much easier said than done. I think in these days, today, we're starting to realize just how hard that can be to love your enemy because we are seeing evil in the world today come face to face to it many different times throughout the last several months. Man, Jesus, are you sure we're supposed to love our enemy? This is exactly where we're picking up tonight in our series called 72 Hours. This is the final week of 72 Hours, as you can see on the screen here, which I'm really hoping does not blow down tonight. But I tell you the what, the Holy Spirit is just blowing through this place. Am I right? Come on, praise God. Okay. Anyways, I'm hoping that that screen stays up. So please pray. Anyway, so we're in the last week of our series called 72 Hours. We're looking at a story of a man named Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and I want to catch you up to exactly what's going on in our story. So Jonah was swallowed by a really big fish. So here's our really big fish, and out comes Jonah. Jonah, uh, pretty cool, huh? You can buy it at Walmart, not at Walgreens. You can buy it at uh, Hallmark. Check it out. But in order to catch us up with the story, I've got some uh, friends who I'd like to introduce to you all. Come on down. You've seen these people tonight already. We've got my friend Isaac. Everybody give it up for Isaac. Say, what's up, Isaac? Isaac was playing the keys earlier tonight. Isaac is going to be Jonah. We've got our pastoral intern, Haley Shepherds. Everybody say, what's up, Haley? Haley is going to represent the city of Nineveh. And then we've got our friend Alejandro who plays the cone. Everybody say, what's up, Alejandro? And Alejandro is going to represent the sailors in this. So everybody say, hi, Jonah. Jonah, come on, take front and center right here. Jonah is a prophet, and we are learning about this prophet Jonah and his story. So one day, God says to Jonah, Jonah, 
Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them to turn around from their evil ways. And so here is Nineveh. Nineveh could be over here on the east. I think if that's a map for you, that would be your east, yes? So Nineveh would have been to the east of Jonah. And when God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah's like, absolutely not. And he darts west. So go ahead and dart west, Jonah. All right, see you later. Now you guys can come on back into scene just to make sure that our friends in Iowa City can see you. So come on over just a little bit. And Jonah finds a sailor or sailors represented by Alejandro. And he decides we're going to go as far away from Nineveh as possible. We are going to go to a place called Tarshish because Jonah wants nothing to do with Nineveh because in Nineveh, they are evil. They don't like people like Jonah. And Jonah's like, I don't like them either. I want to go far away. So anyway, so they start, you know, making their way through the sea. So go ahead and let's see your, let's see your rowboat. What do you got here? Perfect. Nice. And it's nice, easy waters. The acting tonight, by the way, is something you will never see anywhere else. So I'm so pleased that we get to see this. Then, out of nowhere, a storm starts to crash. So let's say it just starts to rain. So just maybe give like a little nice pitter-patter with your hands. Everybody just give a nice little... Yeah, you see that? Yeah, do you ever do this in elementary school? That's right. Okay, so it's just a little sprinkle. At first, it's a little refreshing, but then the rain starts to pick up, and you start to clap louder. And then all of a sudden, thunder starts to hit. Everybody... And then it's just lightning and storm and lightning and storm. And Jonah's like, you got to throw me overboard. And Alejandro's like, no, I won't do that. And then Alejandro's like, honestly, I don't know what else we got. So they throw Jonah overboard. And Jonah goes overboard. And the sea goes still. And Alejandro sails off into peace. Meanwhile, God sends a giant fish to swallow Jonah. Now, I don't know. Do, do what you can here. I don't, I don't really know there. But... I'm telling you, the interpretation, this is interpretive art tonight, ladies and gentlemen. This is beautiful. And so Jonah spends three days in the belly of this fish. He has a prayer with God. and He says, God, you saved me. I was going down to the pits of the sea and you saved me. And then the fish upchucks Jonah onto the beach. And God says, Jonah, it's time again to go to Nineveh. So then now this time, finally, Jonah goes over to Nineveh. And Jonah says, in summary, you're going to die. Pretty much the entire sermon that he gave to them. Now, to everyone's great great surprise, as we can see on the next slide, which we learned last week, God saw that the people of Nineveh had put a stop to their evil ways. So now Haley's a great person. She is a great person all the time, but in the sake of this, this skit, she's just great. Everybody's praising God. Everybody's praising God. Yeah, it's amazing. And this is where the story should end. Like everybody lived happily ever after, but it doesn't. On the next slide, we see this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Jonah, how angry are you right now? Just so upset. I tell you what, let's give these folks a round of applause. This is amazing. I, I mean, like, I, I, I kind of want to cry right now. I'm so moved by your interpretive acting skills. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you back up here later when you give me some spirit keys for the end of the sermon, because we really want it to land. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's what we do here at Kairos. Jonah is very upset that the people of Nineveh turned around. Talk about the worst minister ever. This doesn't make any sense. You'd think that this is a resume moment for Jonah in his career as a prophet. 120,000 people came to know God through this one, I mean, just tiny little five words in the Hebrew is what it is. A five word sermon. 
and 120,000 people come to know God through it. And Jonah's mad. He's angry. It says this on the next slide. Jonah starts to chew out God. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're just eager to turn back from destroying people. I knew you would do this. Can you imagine if you invited a friend to Kairos who like didn't really know anything about God, didn't really have any interest in it, and then they had such a great time. They felt compelled by the Holy Spirit. And afterward, you guys come up to me and you tell me like, this person just, they just, they want to know God. They want to be with God. Isn't that cool? And I just, oh, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? No, you? I'm sorry, is there a problem? Yes, you're the problem. I didn't want you. I, you wouldn't ever, ever trust me to lead a church, right? And that's what Jonah's doing. Jonah's saying, you're so compassionate. It's almost, you can just see him just, just, just grimacing this, this phrase through his teeth. You're so compassionate. You're so slow to get angry. You're filled with unfailing love. You're just eager to turn back from destroying people. It's interesting. One of the most popular verses in the Bible, it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. It's kind of like the thesis statement of the entire Bible. Now that verse is found in the New Testament. That's the time when Jesus lived and after. Jonah is a time that comes before Jesus. And if there's kind of like a thesis statement to the Old Testament, a phrase that gets repeated over and over again, it's this. God is compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He's eager to turn back from destroying people. It says this over and over and over again. But Jonah is so fed up with that. Even though he's a prophet, he would have known this is what God does He's so fed up with it. He's saying, I'm cool with that when you demonstrate it on people like me. But when you demonstrate it on the people that I don't like and the people who don't like me, I'm really frustrated. And so Jonah finishes his temper tantrum by saying this on the next slide, just kill me now, Lord. What? Now, maybe this is the part of the story where you say, okay, here's the thing. I was kind of sort of buying the story, and I even kind of went with it when Jonah fell into the belly of a fish. I mean, like, I don't know, maybe crazier things have happened. But now, Jonah actually has mission accomplished, and this is really starting to sound like a big old joke. Is this story really true? Now, let me tell you this. We don't actually know for sure if this story is supposed to be a metaphor or if this story is supposed to be taken literally. This is an actual historical account. But I do want to tell you this. Let me paint a little bit of a picture to better explain the purpose of this. We do know for sure that there was a guy named Jonah, an actual prophet. He's referred to in another, in another book of the Bible called Second Kings. There was a prophet named Jonah. But this story is written away in the same way that you might write satire today. You've got, this, you've got the prophet who won't listen to God. You've got the king of the evil people in Nineveh who repents to God. You've got the prophet who is so upset when the people actually turn around. I mean, it's kind of funny after a while. It's kind of written in a way of satire. But let me say this. I don't doubt that this story literally happened as written in scripture because I doubt that God might be able to send a fish to swallow a man and keep him whole for three days. Because I don't doubt that the God of the universe could change physics like that. Instead, I'm wanting to read this story for as it is. And as the original author intended for those people back then to read it back then. And I believe that that author wrote this as a way of saying, don't you see how ridiculous it looks? 
Don't you see how ridiculous it looks when you are willing to take mercy, when you are willing to receive grace from God, but you refuse to give it to anybody else? So much that you would rather just die than see someone who opposes you set free. I think the truth is, is Jonah, if he reflected back just a little bit into chapter two, he would remember God did the exact same thing for him. On the next slide, remember this says this in Jonah chapter two, Jonah's reflecting. He says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth uh, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. Hold on a second. God, you are compassionate on me. You are great in your mercy on me. You are relentless in your love on me. Why am I so mad when it happens for other people? And so God rightfully asks Jonah back. God's like this great therapist, right? God rightfully asks Jonah back. The Lord replied, so is it like right for you to be mad about that? I mean, really think about this logically. Is this right? And maybe it sounds really silly, but can you relate to this? Do you ever kind of wish somebody else got punishment? Do you ever wish somebody else got what was coming for them? So when I was in high school, I had a curfew on Saturday nights. Did anybody have a curfew growing up? Yeah. My parents just tell me nothing good happens after midnight. They were right. It's still true for you too, so be careful, okay? But my parents used to say, nothing good, comes, nothing good happens after midnight, so I want you to come home before midnight, especially on Saturday nights. My dad is a pastor. He's actually my boss. Uh, Kairos is a part of Lutheran Church of Hope in Ames. There are many Hope campuses across central Iowa. The first one was in West Des Moines, and my dad's the pastor down there. And so growing up, my dad would preach on weekends, and Hope grew to be this really, really huge church with thousands of people. And so on Sunday mornings, my dad would wake up and preach to thousands of people. And so in my mind, I'm like, I got to get curfew right on Saturday night because you do not want to wake up a person who has to speak to thousands of people in the morning. Now, my dad was full of grace and he's full of mercy. And so if I messed up, like he was willing to give that to me. But I tell you what, when I came home and I knew that they were sleeping, I was like, oh, thank God. And so then like you just... You know, and every single step is so loud. It feels like, whoa, oh, the screen's going. Oh, Lord, help us. God, have mercy. I need that PowerPoint. Anybody want to help me out here? You know what? Whatever happens, happens. You guys, this is Holden Kramer. What a guy, huh? Holden Kramer, former punter for Iowa State University. Did you know that? I tell you what, Holden is so low-key and so humble about everything. This is crazy. This is nuts. Here we go, here we go. They're gonna figure it out. And while they are, I'm just gonna trust that you're gonna pay attention to me, right? That's gonna work out so well. Um, okay, nice, that's perfect. Is that going back up? Praise the Lord for resurrection, am I right? Almost. Yeah, come on, baby. That's it. Right on. I love it. All right. Praise God, huh? Uh, that's good. Thanks, Holden. Thanks. Thanks, Isaac. So anyway, so I get home after midnight. I'm just hoping my parents are asleep. And sometimes you get away with it. And sometimes my parents would catch me and they'd be like, okay, Danny, please don't do that again. Go to sleep. I'm glad you're home. I was shown grace. I was shown mercy. 
I do remember specifically one night, I got home about 11.15 and I'm feeling good about myself, right? I get home early. Like I'm doing it. I'm doing it right this time. 12 o'clock passes and my older brother John's not home yet. And I'm like, oh. 12.30 comes and goes, old Jonathan's not back. One in the morning, my older brother has the audacity to open the garage door. He turns on the lights as I'm waiting in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, where do you think you were? Hmm? Hmm? Well, I wonder what mom and dad will have to say about this, mister. I mean, like, this is like a scene that actually happened between John and I to where John's walking home, my parents are asleep, and I'm like, no, they, they should probably know about this. John, where were you? John's like ignoring me walking past. John, where were you? He's continuing to go down the stairs. I'm falling down the stairs. Mom, dad, John's home! And John, or my parents come around, my, I think my dad comes out, and he's coming around the stairs. He's like, what is going on? And I said, well, your son, your son came home late tonight in Father, you have to preach in the morning. Show him your wrath, Reverend. You know? And of course, my dad just says, just go to sleep. I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're home. Oh, we get so caught up in punishment and judgment for other people. I think God's just really glad when people come home. Jonah's kind of revealing the scandal of grace here, isn't he? The scandal of grace is this. It's that it feels really good when it's for me. But if it's for me, it has to be for everyone else. It has to be for everyone else. And as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that gives me a duty to love every person, no matter how bad I think that they are. And I know that love comes in all sorts of different forms. Love without truth is not love. And sometimes I have to tell someone the truth. Love without justice is not love. And in order to love someone, sometimes I have to acknowledge where injustice has been occurring. But I am called to love all people. The scandal of grace is that it is so widespread that it is for everyone. So what does Jonah do? Jonah, do you really think you have the right to be mad about this? Well, Jonah throws a hissy fit and he doesn't listen to God. Instead, he just walks away. You ever been like just point proven wrong? And like, you know, you're in the wrong. So instead of just talking to the person about it, you just, well, fine. And then you walk away. It tells us that Jonah, he goes out to the, the, he goes out to a hill on the outside of the city and he takes a seat. He builds a shelter and he's going to watch the city. This is weird. Jonah went out to the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He creates a shelter. Now in his sermon, remember he said, 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That means that he's building a shelter to sit and wait for 40 days. Have you ever thrown a temper tantrum so huge? And this is a prophet of God. And he's sitting on the, I will sit here for 40 days just to watch. Jonah goes outside the city to sit on a hill and cheer for the city to die. He leaves the city and says, God, kill them. You can't do this. 
See, I think that Jonah thinks that the entire world is upside down at this moment. I'm a righteous person. I'm a prophet. I'm religious. I've done the right things. I preached the word that you gave me, God. What else could I possibly do? Wow, that's really going this time. It's upside down. They should be the ones angry. I should be the one celebrating over their death. Boy, the Bible's pretty raw, isn't it? I know this is a story that we learn in Sunday school if you grow up in the church, but boy, this is deep. Have you ever cheered against someone? God's pleading with you to get away from that. Jonah thinks that the world's upside down. He thinks that Nineveh is upside down right now. It's interesting. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That was his sermon. Now the word there for destroyed, it's on, it's, it looks like this. On the next slide, it's hapak. And hapak, Jonah says, it's going to be destroyed. But what it really means, quite literally, it means destroy, but also to overturn. And this can be used in different ways. And when it's used, with different, when it's used in different ways, it has different nuances. Kind of like a lot of words today, Right? So Jonah says the word destroyed. He uses the word hapak and he says, okay, that means that God's going to flatten this place. It's going to be destroyed. When he overturns it, it's sitting right side up right now. He's going to flip it upside down. It's going to be destroyed, flattened. But of course, even today, destroyed can mean different things, right? Uh, Holden and me and Haley, we were out at the skate park in Ames a few weeks ago because we were filming a goofy video. It's on our social media. You can check that out. But uh, there were some actual skaters there. Well, we're there like on our electric scooters, but there's some actual skaters there and they're using words in ways that I'm not used to using these words. Like, y'all, man, I just crushed that pipe, man. Like, and he's using the word crush in a good way. Yeah, bro, I just destroyed that, that ollie. <laughs> like, what? I don't know the terms. I destroyed it. Like, it's the word destroyed, but it's used in a good context. Just like right now, there seems like nothing good could come out of this screen being destroyed. But of course, it doesn't mean destroyed as in flattened. It means that God has actually overturned this place. Nineveh was upside down and God says, now I've turned it right side up. And God's sitting up there in heaven like, I just totally destroyed it. I just smashed that place. But he means it in the best way. God didn't lie to Jonah, and God didn't lie through Jonah. It's just that sometimes we say things and we intend things for evil, and God's so good at good that he turns it into good. He takes the world that we so often are living in upside down, and he turns it right side up. Listen, you can try all you want. You can try all you want to wish evil on someone. You can do everything you want for evil to take place on someone that you don't like. At the end of the day, God's going to win. And when God wins, love wins, goodness wins, grace wins, justice wins, mercy wins. And that is right side up. Sometimes we think God's got it upside down. God says, no, you're living in an upside down, upside down world and I've come to turn it right side up. So like any good therapist, God doesn't give up on Jonah. Because Jonah, he's the one who's living upside down at this point. 
And Jonah's going back and forth and back and forth. He's like, okay, I'm going to run from, from Nineveh and then I'm going to go into the sea. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. And now I'm happy because things, uh, because I've been able to preach this message, but now I'm really mad that I just want to die because it actually worked. Jonah's flip-flop, 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 flip-flop. But God doesn't give up on him. It says in the text, it says that God then grew a tree for, for Jonah. Grew a tree and it provided shade. And it says Jonah's very grateful for the plant. But then very shortly after that, it says that God also provided a worm and the worm ate the bottom of the plant. So then the, the plant withered away and it dried up. And then the sun scorches down on Jonah's head and Jonah gets a bad case of sunburn. I mean, it's kind of funny, right? <laughs> Jonah's so mad. So mad. He said, I'm so mad I could die. The only time in this entire book where Jonah's actually happy is when God creates a plant to have some shade for him. And now Jonah's mad again because the plant is gone. And so God says, is it right for you to be so angry because the plant died? God's asking the same question, but he wants to make it simpler for Jonah. He didn't get it the first time when he says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah's like, well, I think it is. So then God gives him an object lesson. So here's the plant. Now the plant went away. Now Jonah, okay, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah says, Come back one slide. Jonah says, yes. Come back a slide. Jonah says, yes, even angry enough to die. I just can't get over Jonah. The guy's ridiculous. And I imagine that God in like this heavenly, like, like uh, creator powerful over the entire universe sort of way, sits down with his legs crossed and looks Jonah in the eye and says, now Jonah, and on the next slide here it says, do you feel sorry about the plant? You did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. You didn't even have enough time to emotionally attach to it. You didn't make it. You didn't develop a relationship with it. And you're mad. And maybe you should be. Maybe you should be because creation does matter no matter how minuscule it seems. Maybe Jonah, yeah, you should be mad. But even something that you're so detached about, if you could be mad about that, he says Nineveh has 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. 120,000 people that I made. Now, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah, you're so mad about a plant. You are so mad about your feelings getting hurt. You're so mad about your plans getting uprooted. You're so mad that you might look kind of silly right now. Jonah, I'm mad for people. It says, Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant. Well, Jonah, I feel sorry for people. It's the same word in the Hebrew that they use there. We're going to learn one more Hebrew word tonight, right? It goes like this. It says, kus, and it literally means heartbroken. To be so sad that your heart is welling up with tears and it breaks. Oh, Jonah. Jonah. Your heart breaks over things that can be replaced. My heart will not stop breaking until I've made people whole again. And I know you're mad and I know you're angry and I know they've hurt you but I'm the God of redemption. I'm the God of reconciliation. I'm the God of heartbreak. And I'm the God of making people whole again. I'm the God of turning things right side up again. You know, it's funny. 
God said, so don't you think I could be mad about that? I could feel sorry for them? And then you're like, okay, what's it say next? What does Jonah do next? And it, end of the book. Maybe God's trying to talk to you through this one. Do you believe that God should be able to love all people? Easy answer, no. God shouldn't love all people. But he loves me. Therefore, he must love everyone. Jonah goes out to a hill on the side of the city and cheers for the people to die. He's crying to God, kill them. And many, many, many years later, Jesus Christ approaches another city, Jerusalem. And he saw the city from a hill and he began to cry. I just wish that you would understand the way to peace. We're trying to get our peace through things that won't get us peace. We're trying to get our peace through things like revenge. We're trying to get our peace through things like saying, I told you so. We're trying to get our peace through control. We're trying to get our peace by removing someone from our life. We're trying to get our peace by cheering for someone to die. Probably not literally, but metaphorically, spiritually. On this next slide here, there's a guy named Gordon Wilson. Gordon Wilson lived in Northern Ireland back in the 80s when there was a... Um, uh, he, lived, he lived in Northern Ireland when there was a revolution taking place. The IRA, uh, a rebellious army, um, had an act of terror on his own, or demonstrated an act of terror on his, own, on his hometown. Bombs went off. Buildings collapsed. Walls fell on him and on his daughter. Gordon survived, but his daughter didn't. Later on, they would interview Gordon and they talked to him about what happened. And before the world of YouTube, it went viral in the way that it could go viral back then. And to find the clip, I had to splice together a couple of different clips. So I apologize for the kind of lack of quality, but I want you to hear it from him. Hear his heartbreak, but hear how he finds the way to peace. Check this out. She said, are you all right? I said, yes, but my hand's sore. How are you, dear? All right. Then I heard her scream. Asked her again, how are you, Mary? Are you all right? Yes. She was gripping my hand very tightly. I was bleeding from the forehead. Knew it hurt myself. But I was assured that she was all right. She told me twice. She told me again, but she still was screaming in between times, and I couldn't understand why on the one hand she was telling me she was all right, on the other hand she was screaming. When I asked her for the fourth or fifth time, she said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were the last words she spoke. I should never forget them. But I bear will, I bear no will will to anybody, nor does my wife. What strength? What strength? He's just, I mean, it's just very quick at the end there. I bear no ill will toward anyone, nor does my wife. The expanded quote, 
said, I hold no ill will, but I pray for the people who killed my daughter every single night, and I ask God every single night to forgive them. The person who interviewed him in that interview wrote this. He said, no words in more than 25 years of violence in North Ireland had such an impact. You know, we are living in times of cultural conflict right now too. And it would be really tempting for us to just wish that the other side would die, to wish that the other side would just fall apart, to wish that the other side would just go down, that the other side would just break. But perhaps God is more powerful than that. Perhaps God has this capability to make things whole again that seems so broken. Perhaps there is true power in loving even our enemies. There's a woman named Mary McLeese who was the president of Ireland years later and she said this. She said, Gordon's words shamed us and caught us off guard. His words of forgiveness. They sounded different than what we were used to. Gordon, he had detractors. He received bags of hate mail. People would say, how dare you forgive? You deserve to die. What kind of father are you to say, I forgive you to the people who killed your daughter? And then the president of Ireland said this, it's as if people forgot what Christ said on the cross about forgiveness. As if love and forgiveness is a sign of mental weakness inside of spiritual strength. When somebody hurts you, you can fall for Satan's trick that you are ruined and that you are defeated and that you are broken beyond repair. But the God of redemption, the God who makes things whole again, can heal you. It can make you stronger than you believed you could be. because he loves you. You know, when I think of enemies, I so often think of other people. You know, the other people are the enemies. I don't ever think of myself as an enemy until I think about what God has to go through in order for me to be as strong as I never thought I could be. He sat on a hill and he wept over me. And then he was dragged out of the city on top of a hill. And he looks over the city. Jonah went to the top of a hill to look over the city and cheered for it to die. Jesus Christ was brought out to a hill over the top of the city and he died so that the city would live. Jonah is at the top of the hill and he says, God, kill them. Jesus is at the top of the hill looking over the people and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. It's a broad term, them, isn't it? Sometimes we get confused. We think, well, Jesus is just talking about the people that are killing him. 
doesn't say that. In this crowd, there are people who are killing him. There are criminals on either side of him. His best friend is in the crowd. His mother is in the crowd. His mom's friends are in the crowd. And God says over all of them, Father, forgive them. That's the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace is that it's for me and it's for you and it's so widespread that there is no one that it cannot reach. And it's the way to peace. And so that question at the end of Jonah, do you think God should feel sorry for your enemies? Do you think God should feel sorry for his creation when it doesn't know the way to peace? Here's an abrupt ending to the sermon. What do you think? <laughs>